You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund to give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. If you want to relive the feels on Grey's Anatomy, Hulu is here for you. But what are you waiting for? Let's go. Every episode of Grey's Anatomy is now streaming on Hulu. Seriously. Every. I'm your person. Every. Now we dance it out. Every. McDreamy. Every. McSteamy. Every Grey's ever. Now streaming on Hulu. And the new season streaming March 15th. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Ken Quapis. I am a director. I directed the pilot of The Office and many other episodes. Hello, everybody. This is The Office Deep Dive, and I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. How's everybody doing out there? Is everybody okay? I wish I could hear you. Um, Today... You will be listening to me and my conversation with Ken Quapas. Now, as usual, no one can put it better than Greg Daniels. And Greg described Ken as the country vet who birthed this puppy, this puppy being the American office. And this is so true. Ken was, he was the director of the pilot, but also so many of our most beloved episodes. He directed Diversity Day, Booze Cruise, The Fire, The Job, Casino Night, Gay Witch, The Finale. Honestly, there are too many to name, but you should go look them up. Ken is such a sweet, nice guy, uh, one. And two, he he also has a really unique directing style. Um, He wrote a book, recently, actually, uh, called, but what I really want to do is direct lessons from a life behind a camera. And to get to sit down and talk with him about all of that, that was my pleasure. So on that note, in homage to Ken, Ken, go ahead. Bubble and squeak. I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. 
bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. Hello, sir. I'm coming around for another hug. Yes. It's so good to see you. Oh, so So good to see you. So happy to see you. I, I, um, and I'm glad, uh, you're doing this. Well, I think that there's a story here that needs to be told. I, you know, I, I was saying to Margaret that I have been, it's, it's not a book about the office, but I'm actually, I'm writing a book. Okay. About directing. Right. Just a, a general book about directing. And it certainly includes, you know, some of our experiences. But I but I've been approached by a bunch of people and I've just I basically now I say, is Greg doing this? Right. <laughs> so Right. The first person that I went to was Greg. And I said, Look, this is what we want to do. Yeah. And he was totally supportive and is you know, they're finishing editing his or sorry, finish shooting his show. Right. This week. Well, in fact, on at Raleigh because I that's where Angela and I were doing this other show. Okay, so literally I saw Greg. I would wander over to his that mat. Did you go visit? No, that? I haven't been there it's yet. Like this massive set of this space, whatever <laughs> or ship, whatever right, right, right. And uh, but yeah, no, I can't wait to see it. Can't yeah. wait to see it. Um, now, did had you worked with Greg before the office? No. Okay. No, I met him. When I was invited to meet him to direct the pilot of the office. Okay, so so before the pilot, what what were you were working on, Bernie Mac? Yeah, let's see specifically what I was doing. I had worked on the show Malcolm in the Middle. Okay, I directed nineteen episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. I helped launch the Bernie Mac show with Larry Wilmore, and I was working on. I think, yeah. So I was working on the Bernie Mac show when I got the call to meet with Greg. Right. And were you familiar with the British version of the show? I was familiar with it, but I hadn't seen much of it. Okay. I think I may have only seen the pilot episode of the British show. Right. And now we shot the pilot and the first season in the production offices above the soundstage. Right. I mean, we built within a, uh, we built within a practical space. Right. And in fact, one of the things that we did when we moved to the, whatever we call it, warehouse, what are we calling that? (laughs) Yeah, the warehouse, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) When we built the Dunder Mifflin set, one of the things that Greg and I definitely discussed was the idea of not making any walls movable, wildable. And the idea was that since this was a, a, you know, quote, documentary, that directors had to respect the physical limitations of the space. So that if you couldn't get an angle, you couldn't get an angle. And that was, again, it was, a, it was sort of a, a way to signal to directors coming down the line that, you know, you had to kind of honor the space. And, and again, if this were any other kind of uh, either you know, single camera or multi-camera situation, you just, you know, move a wall out of the way and get back and, and in some cases get almost a proscenium view of the action and one of the things I loved, not just in the pilot, but in episodes in the second season in particular, was creating a sense that we were blocked from seeing the action properly. Or, or even that, you know, some, either a pillar, a file cabinet, something was in our way. And, and we couldn't quite get a good angle on things. And that increased the realism. Yeah, I mean, I think that so much of what Greg and I discussed in terms of, you know, a, a camera style was how to, uh, you know, create a sense that we were there observing people, observing characters. Obviously, it's not a secret that the staff of Dunder Mifflin knows they're being observed. They know they're being filmed. Most of the staff members don't want to be filmed except for, you know, Michael Scott. So part of it was just trying to come up with visual ideas that would uh, either we would sort of be in a character's face and, 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 you know, for instance, if I was shooting you, you... If I was this far from you, you'd know I'm there. Or we'd, we'd you know, kind of hide behind a, a shrub or a file cabinet and sort of eavesdrop on the action a little bit more so that we could sort of observe without characters knowing we were there looking at them. Right. And I'm always mindful that, you know, it was Greg's decision not to shoot the series at a studio. We, you know, we weren't at Universal. We weren't, you know, and it was his choice to 
you know, find this warehouse in this scrubby section of the valley so that even if it wasn't actual Scranton, it was definitely not Hollywood. And it definitely felt like, you know, where were we? Why are we coming all the way out into this kind of bizarre area to shoot this show in a warehouse? And, you know, it wasn't like we used the surroundings very often, but I think Greg really wanted to give us an opportunity to not feel like we were in a show. Right. We're definitely going to talk a little bit more about that. But um, so you and Greg met and was there any discussion at that time about making the American version? Let's just call mm-hmm. it that the American version versus were there things that you wanted immediately to do differently? Before we started work on the pilot, as I recall, there was a British show and I'm blanking out on the name of it. It was okay. a comedy. It was kind of like a romantic slash sex comedy show. God, I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, it was a show that either NBC or some other network tried to do a a U.S. version of, and it didn't work. And one of the things that Greg and I definitely discussed was the need to maintain the kind of the unorthodox approach of the U.K. show. Not exactly mimicking the tone of it, but for me as a director visually, sort of trying to maintain the style that... um, What's the right way to put it? Where, where it f- feels like we were catching the action by accident, that, that things were not being staged for the camera. And I mean, everyone, I think, you know, there are a lot of people were saying, well, this is going to fail because no network will allow you to do what they did in, in the UK version. But in fact, I think, you know, Greg leading the charge and certain people at NBC understanding that it wouldn't work unless it, it, it wouldn't work if it traveled down the middle of the road. Or it had to at least aspire to the same kind of, you know, offbeat quality that the original had, or else it just wouldn't play. And so on on every level, that affected every decision. I mean, I, I can go through any number of things, including the decision to do screen tests and improvisation instead of the you know, traditional, you know, approach of bringing the finalists for a role in front of a bunch of really humorless network executives. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, right. and so, I mean, in, in place of that, we, we shot a lot of screen tests with different uh, combinations of actors. And I feel like that made all the difference in the world in terms of, I don't know, it, it just, it, it changed the whole tenor of how the cast played the scenes. Right. That we weren't trying to sell them. It wasn't jokey. We weren't selling jokes. It was, it was one of the hallmarks of the show, obviously, is the kind of... Um, very understated, often kind of mute quality that, you know, like characters who have nothing to say who are just sort of stuck there with us. <laughs> right. And I think that was, that's not the kind of thing you're going to communicate well in a traditional network executive audition. Right. You know? Like in a network test, it's like theater in right. a huge room right. with no camera there. And I think Jenna and Rain both talked about you brought the camera in and asked, the the actors to also behave as though yes behave as though the camera were a character and i think that you know every actor sort of developed his or her own relationship with the camera and some people were more eager to acknowledge the camera like you know john's character i think pretty quickly you know kind of makes a friend of the camera jenna i think there's moments where it feels like jenna wants to crawl under the reception desk (laughs) right and so i think everybody had their own specific relationship to the camera and that's something we started to uh explore in in the screen test period so that was one choice or one thing that greg insisted on and all credit to greg for insisting that we not go the traditional route in terms of bringing actors to a network for the auditions do you remember, was there any pushback about that? No, I don't remember any okay. pushback about it because, again, I feel like the people at NBC at that moment sort of, I don't want to say they indulged Greg or indulged us, but I think they just knew on some level they had to let us do this in a different way. The UK show was so beloved, partly because of its tone, partly because of its you know very unusual visual style and i think they knew to like kind of get out of the way at least in certain ways i mean i can say that one of the other things we did during the pilot shoot itself was we started each day with you know 
shooting basically documentary footage of the whole cast, the, the entire ensemble, just at their desks. Right. And both Greg and I kind of borrowed uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant's phrase, general views. We didn't call them establishing shots. That's right. They weren't general. B-roll. We keep calling them B-rolls, but yeah, right, but, general but views. But that was, that was, I don't know if that's a general term in Great Britain for an establishing shot or something, but Ricky said, oh, we, we just do general views. And so each morning during the pilot shoot, we started the day with, quote, general views of people at work. And what was great about it was there was no story going on. It was just everyone at their desks, you know, you and Angela and Oscar sort of, you know, doing accounting work. We, we would take shots of things that were just by definition, like so mundane, like, and some of them, I think, got into the credit role at the beginning, the title sequence, like, I think Rain, like sticking the things into the paper shredder and things like that. Rain shredding me doing the, uh, oh, my, yeah, absolutely. On yeah. The, uh, adding machine, the adding machine. Those were things I think that came out of the general views. Definitely. I think Steve adjusting his uh, little trophy on his desk was one of the general views. And what I do remember, you asked about network pushback was, I, I remember getting a, a comment from some executive, not understanding why, for example, there were like long, like lengthy shots of like the the water cooler. <laughs> 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 or, you know, why is there a, a lengthy shot of rain sharpening pencils? Right. What is the purpose of this? <laughs> so it wasn't exactly. We're paying you for this? <laughs> so it wasn't pushback, but it was definitely like. Huh? What are you guys doing? <laughs> and it, and it, and by the way, you can shoot a lot of footage in a half hour. We usually spend about a half hour before we kind of slid into a scene. And one of the things that I discovered in this process is that the cast during the I'll call it the GV section of each of our days, they knew they were being observed. They knew they were the subject of a documentary. And that when we then moved into a scene, it wasn't like we now went into show mode. You know, it right. was like we 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 were still in a kind of documentary mode. And so I think the general views created a kind of lived-in reality. It it feels like they've been there working there for years. Well, that's that's fascinating. I I I think it did something else as well. And I'm curious if this was an unwitting benefit or if there was some thought to this. I mean, you had Every actor essentially mm-hmm. there from 4.30 or 5 a.m. or whatever time it was to be ready by 7 or 7.30 in the morning. Right. We didn't do the general views when it was convenient during the day when everyone was there. It was about bringing everybody in. And I think that that is what started building the ensemble. You know, it's funny because I <clears throat> one of the things um, – one of the – advantages we had is that the pilot takes place by and large in the bullpen. So it wasn't like there were scenes in the parking lot or anywhere else. And the bullpen, except for the HR section of the office, the bullpen requires everyone to be there. And in theory, each of the actors are not entirely clear when the camera's going to find them. So when we did the general views, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely created a sense of ensemble. And I would also say that it felt like Whatever else you might think of that pilot, and I love the pilot, one of the things that really strikes me when I look at it now, it doesn't feel like, oh, new show. It feels like right. we've, 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 we've wandered into a place that's, you know, going about its dreary way the same way it has been for the past couple of years or more. So I think it kind of helped uh, people just sort of start to create a little sense of what their normal day is like. Right. There was also something we did that it was kind of impractical to continue doing this over time. But during the pilot shoot, with the exception of Peter Smokler, who was shooting, Greg and myself, and maybe maybe the boom operator, I'm not even sure, probably, but no one else actually was allowed on the set, including hair and makeup. Right. And as I recall, we kind of gave everyone a little compact and obviously, this is not something you could sustain for a long time. But that was definitely something Greg and I spoke of to kind of create a sense that, what's the right way to put it? Basically, how do you how do we create a real space, a real workplace? But my hope was that it just made people feel a, you know a little bit trapped in their workplace. Right. Well, and that is a great word that I use all the time. Trapped. Mm-hmm. We were trapped within the confines, the walls, there were no movable walls. We were Mm -hmm. all there together. 
and all arriving at roughly the same time and showing up on set at the same time, which forced us to make relationships. I've, I've actually never talked with Greg about this, but I mean, the, Greg's decision to embed within the ensemble writers also, I think, helped grow the, you know, grew that sense of ensemble in a way that it wouldn't have if the, if the writing staff was always at arm's length from the, from the cast. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more plus now you can sign in place bets and manage your cash balance under the same betmgm account in dc maryland and virginia with the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. I want to go back for a second to the casting and um, how obvious was it to you or how difficult were the decisions for you in casting? You know, I'd, it wasn't obvious across the board because there were a lot of good people who came in. Sure. And, and so there were like a lot of viable, you know, versions of different characters. But I do think that, um, I mean, I, again, part of what was fun in the screen tests was just sort of, you know, s starting to not only see people in pairs, but starting to see a whole picture of a group of people. I mean that, and by the way, when you talk about ensemble, I, one of the things I was so happy about with the pilot is even if some characters aren't, don't have speaking parts, they are there. They're very present. And I, I remember that, you know, one of the things that Greg insisted on 
you know, as you, as with any half hour comedy at the end of the pilot shoot, the network sends down a photographer to do like, you know, a bunch of glossy shots of the actors looking cute and jumping up and down and all that. Right. And we were so determined. That was, you know, we pushed back. I, I, I shouldn't say we, Greg pushed back and insisted that we not do anything traditional like that, anything that would scream comedy. So the, what we did instead was the, our Christmas card photo. Mm-hmm. So we got the group together for a kind of, you know, candid Dundurn Mifflin, you know, Xmas card photo. And that was our marketing photo. That was it. It's amazing. There were, <laughs> and if you go to, if you like, if you were to go to NBC at that time and walk down the halls, you know, you'd see giant glossy shots of each of the comedy stars, not the ensemble. Right. And that was the other part of it. It wasn't Steve standing. In, in fact, I think there was actually a discussion on the set about, you know, let's put Steve in the foreground of the shot of the group for the Christmas card. And I think Steve or Greg or, you know, both of them said, absolutely not. He's he's in the group. And that, boy, that really sent the right signal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the work that you all did to create that ensemble early on. And of course, you know, as you know, really no one was famous that, you know, Steve had done the Bruce almighty movie Mm -hmm. and he was on the daily show before Mm -hmm. the daily Mm -hmm. show was cool. And, you know, rain had done the one arc on six feet under, and that was pretty much it. Why was that so important for you? Well, I, again, I, I will defer to Greg because it, it, it was Greg's decision. And Greg was the one who no doubt made the argument to the network that it's best not to have known faces in the show. I mean, I think the, again, everything has to do with creating this kind of verisimilitude that this is a show, this is not a show. It's a, it's part of a documentary about a group of people who work in a paper company. So you wouldn't know them. There's no need, there's no reason you'd see a star in a, in a workplace like that. Right. And I think that, you know, in terms of the, the wardrobe choices, the makeup and hair choices, I mean, you know, everything was sort of designed to make it feel like these are people who don't belong on television, let alone on a primetime half hour comedy. Right. And Steve, uh, you know, I th- I felt that one of the things that Steve did so well is that he's the one character who's who's so excited about a documentary crew being there because Michael Scott fancies himself a superstar. Right. But weirdly enough, even Steve, I think somehow both played to the camera but also w- was himself the subject of a documentary too. Yes. He somehow I, and it's I it's one of the things I just marvel at you know, Michael Scott is, you know, grandstanding and, you know, making jokes and everything. He's playing to the camera, but the character doesn't quite realize it, but we're observing him. He's a, he's under the microscope and Steve somehow kind of found that weird duality. Right. Tell me about what's true and what's, what's lore or fairy tale. How did Phyllis get <laughs> cast in the show? I, well, <laughs> I don't. I I will tell you what happened. Okay. I so um we were doing uh audi- prop, you know kind of more traditional auditions and in the room Greg, myself, Phyllis, Allison and the setup was is that I sat next to a video camera and on the other side of the video camera Phyllis was sitting. And Phyllis was reading off and Phyllis was her casting associate. Yes. And I hadn't met Phyllis. All I knew is I was sitting next to her and there was a camera between us and the actors who were auditioning were some of them were kind of playing it to the hilt and kind of working a little too hard phyllis meanwhile was reading her lines in in this very kind of monotonal way sometimes not even looking up at the actors just looking down at the sheet of paper and i just became fascinated with her and started looking at her, and there was a couple of actors whose auditions I kind of missed because I kept throwing Phyllis these <laughs> glances. And I finally, during a break, I took Greg aside and I said, "This woman really belongs in a paper company." And so we, Greg, thought about it, and and he said, "Sure." And, and now there's a, there is there is one additional detail that's so wonderful. And that is uh, that after Greg said, sure, let's ask her to be in the bullpen. And she agreed to do it, that Greg and I had a discussion and Greg said, do you know if she can act? (laughs) (laughs) And and I took Phyllis aside and I said, do you have a lot of acting experience? 
And she said, not, not really, but she said that some years earlier that she had, you know, worked in burlesque in Branson, Missouri. Yep. And I said, stop it. And she then later that week brought in a photo of herself in a, like a very, you know, wonderfully old fashioned burlesque outfit. <laughs> it was on her desk for 10 years, <laughs> nine seasons. Yep. And the, uh, so that is the Phyllis story. And, and That's amazing. Uh, I couldn't be happier that she became such a beloved member of the ensemble. I feel also responsible for Creed. And I, and I, yeah. So tell the Creed story. How did you know Creed? When I was on the Bernie Mac show, Creed was a stand-in. And I remember one day that Creed and another stand-in were uh, just having a conversation while we were lighting, and I was wandering around. And I kept eavesdropping on little bits of the conversation. And I, at one point, I heard Creed say something like, oh, yeah, and then Hendrix taught me this lick that one night. And I, I walked away, and I thought, what the what the heck is he talking about? And then I turned back over my shoulder and he was like doing some air guitar for this fellow stand-in. And I thought, ah, what's going on here? So I went up to him and I introduced myself and he introduced himself as Creed Bratton, formerly of the Grassroots, that, you know, 1960s pop band that in the mid-60s actually opened for people like Janis Joplin and the Doors. They were, you know, a Bay Area band. But Creed was in this band during its earliest incarnation and and literally hung out at, you know, the Whiskey A Go-Go with the likes of Janis Joplin. So we became pals on the Bernie Mac show, and then I went off to do other things and lost touch with him for quite a while, actually. Not quite a while, but a while. And then I heard through a mutual friend that he was looking for work, and he heard that I was directing the pilot of the office, and did they need stand-ins? And so I contacted Creed and I said, you know, the truth is the style of the show is a doc is we're, we're making a mock documentary and trying to do a minimal amount of lighting. Therefore, there's not really a need for stand-ins, but there are a couple of empty desks in the back of the bullpen. And again, there's no guarantee of anything, but if you want to just, you know, be an extra in the background of this paper company for a week you know, or whatever, how, how long was the pilot? Seven shooting days, maybe? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you're welcome to take a seat at this desk. And he did and, and stayed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he stayed and poor Devin, <laughs> poor, poor Devin. Um, but one more thing about sort of before we leave this really early time that, um, the idea that you and Greg cast regular looking people in terms of making the show really accessible to people. You know, the conventional wisdom is we want beautiful people that people want to look at, but, but really choosing real people taking place in a real place. Um, how that really made people fall in love with the people. I, I mean, I, I feel like, again, this was part of trying to make sure that we lived up to the the standards of the UK original, because certainly that's the case in the UK original. The people are not glamorous who work at Wernham Hogg. But I also think it's a tribute to Alison Jones. I mean, she's so exceptional, and and one of her gifts is finding people who look real, who do not look glamorous, who nevertheless kind of draw you in, who are so compelling. I mean, I think that, I, again, my the way I always put it is, if you tuned into the office during its first season, you'd say none of these people belong on television. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And weirdly for like rain, that's still true. He does not belong on television at all. <laughs> um, did you bring any other of the staff or crew members with you when you came and joined the pilot? Did you know Peter Smokler or? I, well, Peter Smokler and I had, I did not hire Peter. But I was excited when I heard he was shooting the pilot because Peter was the DP of the Larry Sanders show, Gary Shandling's uh, show. Right. And of course, Peter has important mockumentary credentials having shot This Is Spinal Tap. Yes. And, and in fact, Peter and I actually, I don't want to say butted heads about documentary style, but we definitely had a lively debate about 
how to shoot a documentary. And and I'll, this is actually a really important thing that from Peter's point of view is if you're a documentarian, you use a, a, zo- a whip zoom. You're, you know, let's say I'm getting a medium shot of yep. you and now I'm going to zoom in really quickly and get a tight shot of you. The intention for the documentary filmmaker is to then in the cutting room, eliminate the whip. You know, the documentary filmmaker will get rid of those pans so that it feels like the documentary recreates the feeling of a traditionally covered story. And I remember saying to Peter, well, I think, no, I think we're going to keep those. And he and he and I actually disagreed. He goes, well, that's not good documentary filmmaking. I go, yeah, but I think we need to kind of signal to the viewer, you know, that we're making this documentary. And I tried to justify it. I said, well, you know, it's not the finished documentary. <laughs> like right. I was trying to rationalize <laughs> right. it. But I mean, he's right. If you look at, you know, great. And by the way, Greg and I um, also talked about Cinema Verite documentaries. We talked about the Maisel Brothers, about great films like Salesman or Grey Gardens. And those films generally, yes, the, the the erratic camera moves to get from angle to angle are eliminated so that you're more, in, quote, involved with the right. story. But anyway, so I, I did not, uh, I wasn't part of the decision to invite Peter, but I was thrilled that he was on board. Right. Yeah. How did you feel when you when you saw the the final version? Were you proud of it, the pilot? Oh, well, here's what actually happened. I, okay. I, I worked on the cut of the pilot and I worked on it with Greg for a little while. Then I left and I went off to work on a film. And by the way, while I was working on the film, there was a lot of discussion about whether this show would make the cut, right. and get on the air. And so I was on the phone with Greg occasionally and and he was not always very optimistic. But in the meantime, in the interim, I did see you know his final cut of the pilot and I just loved it. And I loved, again, one of the things I'm so happy with how he cut the pilot is he preserved, he didn't cut it for tempo. Rather, let me put it more specifically, it wasn't up-tempo. It had weird slack pauses where on any other television show, you'd either have the sound of an audience laughing, you'd have, you know, three jokes where <laughs> in that right. space, or, and this is so significant, or you would hear music. Right. You know, nine seasons of The Office, and other than that, you know, uh, opening title song, that that is the driest show on broadcast network television. You know, there's nothing. There's no music. Right. And it really, that is a significant part of the what distinguishes the show. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and a brand new Samsung A14 on them. Straight Talk Unlimited plans start at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much, you're going to be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Who wouldn't like a few extra bucks in their pocket? I certainly would. Money for a golf round, perhaps? Tickets to a concert or a game? Straight Talk is a great everyday value on wireless. Plus, it all runs on the most reliable 5G network in America. So treat yourself to Straight Talk today. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024, while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Straight Talk utilizes the network with the most first place rankings and root metrics. 1H 2023 5G reliability assessments of 125 metros. Results may vary. Not an endorsement discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more plus now you can sign in place bets and manage your cash balance under the same betmgm account in dc maryland and virginia With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. So Diversity Day, we get the order, you come back, and you're directing Diversity Day. Now, was there any thought once we were now veering, you know, if the pilot was very much like the original Mm -hmm. UK version pilot, what was the thought about beginning to Americanize the show now that it had gotten picked up? Do you remember any conversation about that? I don't remember any conversation about Americanizing the show when we worked on diversity day, because if anything, I felt diversity day was, and I still think it is one of the boldest episodes. Me too. And, you know, there was a lot of people at the time who, you know, would say, Oh, the office. Yeah. It was kind of slow coming out of the gate and all this stuff. And I thought, well, you kidding? You watched episode two diversity day. It's like, it's, it's, it's as strong as we, we get, right. It's very good. And, and so I don't remember any discussion about that. I, I do remember, um, no, I, I'm trying to, I, no, I can think about many other things. Um, Were you proud of how bold that episode was? I'm proud of uh, that episode for a number of reasons. One of which is um, in the script, it said that, you know, Michael Scott's, you know, diversity training seminar took place in the conference room, uh, as did Mr. Brown's seminar. And I remember there was a lot of discussion about whether or not we should move the seminar out into the bullpen because otherwise the whole episode was going to be stuck in the conference room. And there was, and it was like, Oh my God, it's our second show. We're trying to prove to the network that this is a viable show. And, 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 and our second episode is going to take place in a small room. (laughs) And it's like, so I remember there was a, there wasn't pressure. I do remember talking to Greg and a few others about, was there a version of it where like the seminar basically was spread out into the, into the, into the bullpen. And I remember just having a strong gut feeling that it would be funnier if everyone was once again, trapped in a small space Mm -hmm. and it made it, uh, more challenging to shoot. And again, it, it forced us to respect the limitations of the set. There were no wild walls. Sometimes the cameras were in people's faces a, a bit too much. There were instances where, you know, actors blocked one another that I thought worked worked really well. So that's just a a small but important staging decision uh, we made. I also remember Greg and I discussing the casting of Mr. Brown. And at the time, Larry Wilmore was a consultant on the show. He he had not been on the pilot, but he was, uh, you know, working with us on the second season. And there were a lot of different names being bandied about for Mr. Brown, but I do remember... And I'd worked with Larry a lot you know, right. on Bernie Mac's show. Bernie Mac. So I remember taking Greg aside and saying, you know, I think I think Mr. Brown's sitting in an office down the hall here. <laughs> <laughs> and happily, Greg liked that idea. And and uh, and Larry did such a great, created such a great character. Yes. But I do, I guess what I, I, I feel is that that episode, I, I just felt like everyone was sort of, in top form, you know, everyone brought their A game to that episode. You know, BJ's script is remarkable. And again, it, it, I think the idea of all of us being cooped up in that little room, once again, it's sort of 
contributed to that sense of ensemble. Had we staged the, you know, Michael Scott's seminar out in the bullpen, it would have been cutaways to people in different parts of the space. But in the conference room, everyone was in everyone's shot. Right. Everyone was together. Right. I, something, I don't know why just occurred to me, or I started thinking about, if those of you, you were listening, obviously there's this, it's a stereotype, but when a scene begins and the cameras start rolling and the director is ready, they say action. And Ken doesn't say this. He says, um, it's hard, very hard to describe, but basically, uh, oftentimes will act as though he's about to tell you something and then says, Go ahead. And I'm wondering, is that something that you have always done? Because that in terms of what you were talking about earlier, having us there to do the general views all together and not, oh, we're showing up and now we're going to perform mm-hmm. that the go ahead isn't now start acting. I just wanted to, to hear your take. Is that something you've always done or? It's not something I've always done. I can tell you exactly when I started doing it. I directed the pilot episode of the Larry Sanders show. And when Gary and I were prepping the the pilot, he, I mean, he very much wanted, you know, a sense of verisimilitude about the, the, you know, the, the talk show world. And, and although that show is not a mock documentary, you know, it, it definitely has a kind of well-observed quality. And he wanted he came up to me and he said, is there any way that you can develop a shooting style so that the actors actually don't know when the camera's on? And I mean, I, it was kind of a brilliant idea, but I didn't know what to do with it. This, we shot the, the Larry Sanders show in 16 millimeter. So oh, you, know, wow. you had to constantly reload magazines. Right. That was not something you could hide from the cast. So I finally came up with the idea that we would start each scene you know, without the usual announcements, without a first AD saying, you know, rolling, speak, you know, like all those things, mm-hmm. uh, or the sound person saying rolling. And what I said to Gary was that we'll roll the cameras without letting anyone know, and I'll just give you a signal to start. And I said, I'll just say like, I don't know, go ahead or something like that. And what often happened with Gary was I'd say, go ahead, and let's say it was a scene you know, in in Larry Sanders' office with a number of people, Gary would take the signal, but then he would just sort of like chat with the cast for a while. And then at some, you know, arbitrary point, just launched into the scene. So that there was this sense that the line between acting and not acting kind of got very blurry. Right. And after working on that show with Gary, I stopped using the word action. And I feel like um, actors find that it, it 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 does sort of take a little bit of the onus off of act you know the acting part is it's like there's real life and then there's the scene and so if you can erase the line between real life and the scene that might help and then sometimes i mean i i i mean this is just something i've also done is occasionally actually interrupt the take without cutting so that even i'm i'm like now just having a like we're in a scene and i just start talking to you and I say, oh, you know, go back to such and such. So that, again, it just sort of keeps the the atmosphere less about, you know, oh, I don't know, scene, acting, you know. Right. Like, you know. No. So. No, that's brilliant. All right, guys. Every word out of Ken's mouth is so fascinating to me, but I'm going to I'm going to interrupt the scene. But you will get to hear much more from Ken in a later episode, including lots more about his work on The Office in later seasons. Until then, tune in next week for my conversation with the brilliant, oh, I can't wait for this, casting director Allison Jones. Uh, and of course, lots more of the casting crew after that. Uh, Thank you all for listening and uh, have a wonderful week. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. 
My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. You deserve to treat yourself. So turn your tax refund into a U-fund to give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plans starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You're going to save so much. You'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through April 14th, 2024 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended silver unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do. Enabling members to experience the joys of having your financial Finances in order. And that makes us Facet for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit Facet.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current Facet members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. If you want to relive the feels on Grey's Anatomy, Hulu is here for you. But what are you waiting for? Let's go. Every episode of Grey's Anatomy is now streaming on Hulu. Seriously. Every. I'm your person. Every. Now we dance it out. Every. McDreamy. Every. McSteamy. Every Grace ever. Now streaming on Hulu. And the new season streaming March 15th. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.